Hello, funky listeners, and welcome to another episode of Funk Radio. This is your host, Kyle. And this is your host, Peter. And you are the listeners. Hello, listeners. And welcome Hello. to Funk Radio. In the last episode, um, we started, I, I guess, kind of a two-part topic taking kind of popular genres and looking at them from a, like a racial standpoint, um, mm-hmm. specifically genres that tend to be heavily uh, populated by people of a single race. And then mm-hmm. looking at the reasons why for that. And then looking at some examples of people who are not in that race, who kind of have become popular in that genre as well. So t- the, today this will be like the second half of that topic, I guess. I know I had mentioned that we were originally going to do all in one episode, but it would have been like two hours long. So yeah, ain't nobody yeah. got time um, for that. So yeah, as Peter said, um, this is part two of the two-parter that we split up. Um, in this episode, we're going to be discussing mostly electronic music and R&B music. Yeah. Now, electronic music is stereotypically mostly dominated by white men uh, as far as producers, artists, and DJs that uh, create these... I mean, electronic music is such an umbrella term that I'm sure if you really dove into yeah. it, there's subgenres that are dominated by other cultural signifiers. Yeah. But as a whole, and I guess what is popularly recognized as electronic dance music, or EDM, is often uh, dominated by white dudes. Uh, and now, in, in your research, is that a true statement? Because I have always kind of had that impression, but I've never really like looked into it to see whether that was technically the case. In the modern sense, yes. In the historical sense, no. Hmm. But I guess before we get into like the history of, of EDM, which, I mean, we could do a whole separate episode just on that, and we just might. Um, <laughs> so in the modern sort of sense of EDM in you know as far as like club music uh EDM concerts like Electric Daisy Carnival and uh I guess Coachella and I can't think of any others right now Mm. it's often sort of stereotyped that it's mostly populated listened to and performed by white people and I think a lot of that came from the rise of dubstep in the what god what was that now like the mid 2000s it was was when we were in like college oh like Uh, in popular yeah that was yeah it was like around 2012 ish maybe yeah and and famous artists back then like skrillex and uh totally spacing on all those artists right now uh avici i guess is is one that was popular back then um you know since the late 90s i guess when you had like trap music and house music and Especially um, a lot of that that sort of early EDM scene <clears throat> was uh, in Europe. Obviously, Europe is filled with a lot of white people. Um, mm-hmm. And then that migrated over to the U.S. I think that sort of club, dance, EDM scene that propagated between the late 90s through the 2000s has kind of... I, I don't want to say culturally was influenced by white people, but was popularized by white people, which, I mean... If you think about it, most genres are. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably the case. White people latch onto something, it gets popular among them, therefore it's quote-unquote popular. However, as I was finding in my research, although a lot of modern EDM artists um, are white dudes, it was most dominated and pretty much started by black men Hmm. in the uh, mid to late 70s through the 80s. 
And in fact, a lot of modern electronic music can actually trace its roots back to, to what's called Jamaican dub music, mm. which... Well, again, that's where dubstep we, kind of originated yeah, from, Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Without getting into the, the specifics of it, dubsteps and, and other more aggressive electronic music can be traced back to Jamaican dub music and specifically the sort of uh, r- sound rhythm that they would utilize back then. Hmm. Let me see if I can actually find an example of dub music really quick. Maybe that'll help. Well, fr- from what little I know about dub music, um, it, I, I seem to recall that it has a lot of uh, it's is very produced and like like reverby and it's very it, reverby. It's yeah. very percussive. Yeah, I posted a link in our script by the way, Peter. You can just click anywhere. It's it's like an hour long, but it's a good example. Should we play a little clip for the listeners? What, yeah, let's example? play a little clip, uh, a sample from this for the listeners so they can kind of understand what I'm talking about for dub music. So yeah, exactly. You're exactly right, Peter. It's very reverby, very percussive, kind of a slow beat to it. Mm-hmm. A lot of electronic music, even the music that was coming uh, out of New York in the '70s and '80s, took inspiration from that. In fact, it's I guess you, you could argue its most direct connection was with a Jamaican immigrant who lived in New York named DJ Cool Herc in mm-hmm. the early 1970s, who basically introduced Amer- uh, Jamaica's sort of sound and and sound system culture along with dub music to America. So not only did dub sort of influence electronic, it arguably influenced uh, early hip-hop as well. Oh, yeah, I bet, yeah. I mean, hip-hop was kind of developing at that same time. And exactly, I don't know where exactly. DJ Cool Herc lived, but... I don't know if he was yeah. in New York or somewhere else, but I mean, like those were kind of developing at the same uh, time. I believe, I believe it was like, yeah, it was in, it was Bronx, I believe, in in New York. Um, oh, so literally, they were being developed in the same place. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I mean, that's a very good point. Is that hip hop and early um, electronic music basically were almost indistinguishable? Hip hop was sampling, hmm. EDM or electronic music was sampling. People that were DJs uh, and subscribe to you know the dj lifestyle back then basically we're just remixing you know disco and r&b songs Mm -hmm. now whether you rapped on that or not basically made it either what would become known as house music or become known as rap it's i've never really thought about those as being so closely tied together but it it makes total sense yeah yeah i i didn't really make make fully make the connection actually until you said that and that now i find that really interesting um so this basically propagated in New York, but other cities as well, um, all the way through the early 80s, when you would have, uh, uh, even in Chicago, you would have radio uh, disc jockeys like the Hot Mix 5 and club DJs like Ron Hardy and Frankie Knuckles, who would play sort of disco and dance music, everything from uh, like Philly disco to electro funk tracks, uh, like from bands like Africa Bombada, which I don't think we've talked about on this show actually, to Italo disco, which I know we did talk about. Yeah. All the way to b boy hip hop music from pe- uh, people like Man Parish, Jellybean Bennett's, Arthur Baker, and John Robbie. So 
and, and everything, even including early electronic pop music from like Kraftwerk. Hmm. So yeah, basically the DJs at the time were taking influence from all these different genres, everything from disco to R&B to even early pop electronic music and sort of combining it into these, you know, long sets, uh, which I mean, isn't mm. even uncommon today. You see a lot of electronic music house sets and it's like, Oh, here's an hour of music. Right. The, the interesting thing that I found, especially about house music, which is a very uh, prominent form of EDM is it actually specifically came from a Chicago native DJ Frankie Knuckles and the name house comes from the fact that he would play at a club called the Warehouse. Ah, oh, interesting. Yeah, I had honestly had no idea that I, I was like, oh, okay, because I always wondered like, why do they call it house music? Yeah. Uh, mid mid seventies through the eighties, he would play often at this club in Chicago called the Warehouse, which actually, interestingly enough, catered mostly to black gay clientele. So apparently uh, in an interview that uh, Frankie Knuckles did with the, the magazine Ebony, he said, quote, in the beginning, it was a predominantly black gay club. But as people began to learn about it, we started renting the place out on Friday nights for a lot of fraternity parties. Hmm. So even by that point, you already had basically the, the crossover between predominantly black music and white college students. Hmm. Well, it's interesting, too, that like a lot of the early progenitors of like house or, you know, even earlier than that, you know, dumb music and all that. I mean, these are literally all black people, basically. Yeah, that's that's the thing that blew my mind. You know, so much of modern EDM is so so separated from its sort of culturally black roots. Yeah, Um, it's interesting. But it's it's very much a a genre that was founded basically and uh, created by black people. Um, it's really interesting to see that. I mean, I mean, I, I think it's partially because something like hip hop, obviously it has evolved tremendously in the last few decades since it was kind of first developed. But like, I feel like to a certain extent, there's still a common thread, culturally speaking. Oh yeah. With hip hop now versus the kind of the beginning, like obviously, like I said, it's changed a lot, but you know, there's, there's still some commonality there. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I'm curious why that didn't happen with electronic music, you know, like why isn't that still considered today like a quote unquote black genre? That's a good question. I, I think part of it is just as electronic music expanded from just, you know, dub and house music mm-hmm. um, to the point that it's such a huge umbrella term, it's almost unfair to call it all electronic music right. at this point. I think a lot of the newer genres that sprung up, like uh, trip-hop, which ironically is also kind of influenced by Mm hip-hop, dubstep music, drum and bass music, which also probably has its influences in dub, I feel like a lot of the modern exploration of those genres has been happening in Europe, more, more so than even the US, and I think that's why a lot of the modern EDM is so interconnected with basically white people is because of the uh advances that was was were made in europe in the 90s yeah. through the 2000s that's really good most point. even most modern djs like tiesto and uh avici and um i forget that other guy's name uh all come from europe hmm. but yeah no i think i think that's part of it i think because a lot of modern edm is, has uh, expanded uh i mean uh 
perfect example that I completely forgot of until just now, Daft Punk. They're French. They're white dudes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think I think that's just a big part of it is the European influence on a lot of modern electronic music. Um, yeah, I, which, I didn't think about that, but that's a that's a pretty good point. So uh, sure. it looks like you've got a couple examples here of people. Yeah, um, so I got a couple of examples of of black artists um, in the genre. Now, I, I obviously we already talked about DJ Frankie Knuckles. He's basically you know one of the forefathers of electronic music. So mm-hmm. I I found. Um, a clip of a live set that he did at the warehouse in 1981. Hmm. Um, and I wanted to play a little clip of that. So you could basically see what original sort of elect, like house music DJ set sounded like back then. So you can you can hear the the disco influence. You can hear the dub influence yeah. with that sort of reverb. Um, yeah, it is kind of a mix between those two. It's interesting. Yeah, it's basically disco dub. <laughs> that's a, that's a very good point. So, as as I said, DJ Knuckles, born in the Bronx, uh, with his and he had a friend that he worked with a lot, Larry Levant, Levin, who hmm. uh, would go on to become another famous forefather of DJs and, and electronic music. Uh, they would frequent often frequent discos as teenagers in the 70s. Hmm. And I guess while he was studying textile design at FIT, uh, which is, I think, the Fashion Institute of Technology? I don't know. I, I might be wrong. Hmm. Knuckles and Levon began working as DJs, uh, playing soul, disco, and R&B at two uh, of the most important early discos in New York, the Continental Baths and the Gallery. Uh, by the late 70s, Knuckles had actually moved from New York to Chicago, where an old friend of his, Robert Williams, was opening what would become a nightclub called The Warehouse. Uh, when the club opened in 1977, he was invited to play on a regular basis, which enabled him to hone his skills and style. Uh, his style was a mixture, uh, as you said, kind of, of disco classics, indie label soul, uh, the occasional rock music, and European synth, mm-hmm. as well as you know different rarities that he would find. Uh, and eventually, this this style that he created would become to know come to be known as house music. Mm-hmm. So he's basically the forefather of house music, which is pretty cool. And it's funny too that like the example that you're pulling here of someone who we would think would go racially against the grain with this mm-hmm. genre is actually an example of like one of the first like pioneers of it. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. No, that's why I thought this particular of all the genres we've done, I thought this was the most interesting only because yeah. it's a genre that's so stereotyped in one direction that was really honest, founded in, in an entirely different uh, cultural sense. Yeah. So yeah, that was, um, that was DJ Frankie Knuckles. Um, kind of as an older example of like the original sort of house and and edm sound um as far as a modern example i don't know if we've talked about him on the show before but um i couldn't really talk about modern edm without talking about flying lotus his real name is actually stephen ellison he was born in 1983 and he's an american record producer musician dj filmmaker and rapper from los angeles He's also the founder of the record label Brain Feeder. He has six studio albums under his belt, and he's been making music since 2006. Hmm. Another thing I found super interesting about him that I didn't know 
is he is actually the gr- grand nephew of the jazz pianist uh, Alice Coltrane, who, if the name Coltrane sounds familiar, it's because her husband was saxophonist John Coltrane. Huh. So he's got, like, musical royalty in his blood. The grand nephew. That's interesting. Uh, additionally, he's also the grandson of singer-songwriter Marilyn McLeod, who is notable for having written Diana Ross's Love Hangover and mm. Frida Payne's I Get High on Your Memory. Yeah, Flying Lotus, super famous. Um, he's black. <laughs> I don't know what else I didn't, to say I there. didn't know that about Flying Lotus. I, I vaguely did, but I, I, I don't know. I have such a problem when I'm listening to music, especially electronic music, kind of connecting the artist mm. visibly with the music because it's so, it's, I don't know how to say it. It's well, not, it's not live like, net. It's no, nobody's singing usually. Exactly, exactly. So there's not like, it's usually like a human element that's really connecting necessarily. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's mostly instrumental. Uh, yeah, thank you. That's what I was trying to, <laughs> trying to say. Mm. Um, so yeah, he's a he's a super famous EDM artist. He's done movie soundtracks. He's done he's done his own films. Hmm. He has a film apparently called Fuck You. It's a good name. It's literally F U C K K K Y O U U U. Interesting. Cool. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's play a little clip of um, a song that I picked out by Flying Lotus called Zodiac Shit that came out in 2014. This is pretty sick. Right? I hear some uh, similarities with like chill hot music as well that we've oh, yeah, talked about sure. a little bit recently. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. So yeah, that's uh, that's about all I got for um, electronic music. Yeah, definitely some uh, unexpected history there, at least as far as I stuff that I didn't know. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so R&B music is the second half of this episode. So I've always known that rhythm and blues or R&B is, has always kind of been like a one of those genre names that kind of like doesn't necessarily define a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of like almost something like if you were to label something as rock, like that might give you like a, a vague idea of the type of music, but like probably two thirds of music out there, if not more, can be classified as rock. Yeah. In the same way, you could probably define two thirds of music as R and B, even though like does that really mean anything? Um, yeah, it's a, it's an overly vague genre descriptor. I see what you're saying. Yeah, but actually, um, something that I didn't know that was kind of interesting to me was that historically, R&B, it kind of rose up as a replacement for a uh, a previous category name for music that was called race music, which uh, basically, and and this is like in the 40s and before that, uh, race music was basically just a way to say like, this is black people music. And uh, so the the term rhythm and blues was used by Billboard magazine as early as 1943. Um, From what I could tell, it didn't really start to stick until like the end of the 40s. Mm -hmm. You know, even though something interesting as well is that I guess the term race music actually kind of originated from within the black community. Mm -hmm. Um, But by the time by the time they reached the end of the 40s, they were people were kind of like, well, this is kind of offensive. So, you know, even though they're like, oh, we have to change the name to rhythm and blues. Um, 
you know, for a good portion of the time after that, like the music industry was still very heavily selling black music to black audiences, selling white music to white audiences. And there wasn't much crossover. Yeah. Now, um, writer and producer uh, Robert Palmer defined rhythm of blues as, quote, a catch all term referring to any music that was made by and for black Americans. So this is part, I mean, I've already been describing this basically, but uh, this is something that I didn't really ever think about before is because I I always thought rhythm and blues was, yeah, like it's kind of that vague genre label, but it also like you could, you can kind of define what R&B music sounds like. Mm -hmm. Um, But I didn't realize that like historically all, all it literally meant was like music made by black people. Yeah. Yeah. I always thought it was a a specific genre. I mean, yeah, it was made by and for black people really until Motown kind of broke the mold. Right. But like, I wouldn't consider Chuck Berry to be R&B or even doo-wop music necessarily. Right. Well, I wouldn't, I mean, before researching this, I wouldn't consider that either. But the the fact of the matter is that like under that definition, like they are all definitely R&B. Um, hmm. even though it covers so many different actual genres. like So early names in the genre, um, if you can really call it that, um, were artists like Fats Domino, John, Johnny Otis, Bo Diddley, Chuck Berry, Al Hibbler, Chubby Checker, Sam Cooke. Now, even within that fairly small group of names, I mean, you've got rock and roll, you've got doo-wop, you've got soul, you know, you got jazz. And blues. You got blues. You know, it, it's, it, it's, it's interesting that we kind of think of R&B as, and there's a reason for this, I'll get to it in a minute, but like we kind of think of R&B as somewhat specific now, even if it's still a little vague. Mm-hmm. But even back then, like it was basically just an umbrella term for all these different genres that are like clearly distinct from each other. That's interesting. Yeah, it was basically like a like a less racially sensitive term for just black people music. <laughs> yeah, and that's something I never knew before. And I, I think that's interesting. And I, I, I guess in that way, it's definitely a... Uh, an artifact of the times, I guess, because like mm. you wouldn't, you certainly wouldn't have that now. Yeah, but I think I think it really does come out of the way that music was being marketed back then, back when there still was a distinction where they were really pushing separately toward different audiences. So they mm-hmm. had to make kind of those distinctions. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we've talked a little bit about the genres, but I'll just say that R and B originally encompassed genres like blues and jazz, um, and this was like in like the 30s, the 40s, mm-hmm. um, but over the decades following that, um, it started to encompass everything from early rock and roll to even getting into the 70s. It was getting into like funk and soul and disco music. And then it even got into hip hop. So it, it's kind of ridiculous to think of all the different things that are technically considered R&B. Um, the only reason I would say that it's still sometimes categorized that way that broadly is in like musical award shows. Basically, you have like, you know, best R&B album and you let you can have anything in there from rap music to hip hop to actual R&B to blues. Yeah. Uh, it's basically just like, here's the best album not made by a white person. Yeah. And I think and that is a bit of a, a, a relic of the times because, you know, music award shows like the Grammys are like fucking 100 years old or whatever. Right. Now, um, since it's so I, I, R&B kind of peaked in its popularity throughout the 80s and the 90s. And this is, I, I guess, if, if you were to ask me like what R&B music is, this is kind of what I would associate with it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, cause we could probably think of a, a dozen different uh, artists, you know, who would be considered like actual like 80s or 90s R&B. And we've talked mm-hmm. about several of them before on the show. 
So, and under that definition, it kind of becomes defined more as like more narrowly as like being softer and more melodic than other genres, especially against genres like hip hop, even though hip hop is in many ways still, even today, kind of like co-branded as Mm R&B. And even now, I I don't think there's as, I mean, I'm sure R&B like as its own individual music genre still does exist, but I I don't think it's, I don't think it necessarily does in the same volume that it did in the eighties and the Mm -hmm. nineties. So it's kind of like died down again almost. And it kind of has almost like merged with hip hop in that way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's, I, I guess from that perspective, it's just an interesting label for music because it's almost not a genre in itself. Yeah, it's it's weird. It's like it be, it originally was so broad to basically encompass all music made by black people to now being so narrowed that we only really define it as like sort of crooning, pseudo-romantic sort of music still predominantly made by black people but yeah much more like much more of a narrow definition yeah and actually yeah you you touch on a good point too is that even as the definition has kind of evolved over the years it has always kind of retained the that those black roots i guess Mm -hmm. but you know over the years um i think probably even more so than other genres like hip-hop um you have seen numerous white musicians kind of find their way into Um, R&B. And because it's such a broad term, I mean, you could categorize so many different people in that, like even people from like Elvis Presley to Hall of Notes to George Michael to Justin Timberlake, like uh, it's certainly even in the same way that it kind of covers a lot of genres largely by black people. You could also kind of say the same thing for white people. Um, However, I will note that normally at least from what I can tell, whenever you have white artists that are kind of like labeled as R&B, more often than not, they're more strongly labeled as Blue-Eyed Soul, Mm. um, which is basically white people R&B, for lack of better (laughs) phrasing. Yeah. I think we did actually do an episode on that like way early on in the show. Yeah, that sounds familiar. I think you're right. Uh, I also, I I didn't write it down, but Adult Contemporary, I think kind of has some overlap there as well. I don't know if that's considered a white genre per se Mm -hmm. i don't know much about it i don't either so i guess so kind of like what i did um previously i I kind of picked an older example and a newer example of people who you might call Mm r&b um so my older example is bobby caldwell uh who released a song in 1978 called what you won't do for love and this is a pretty popular song and i think i'm gonna lead by uh listening to a clip of this Yeah, so I had no idea that this guy was white. <laughs> uh, I didn't either until you just told me. Yeah, um, now, and, and this is something we kind of touched on in the prior episode about vocal styles and how that can lead to people being surprised, I guess, by the, the race of the guy singing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, I guess, grew up in Miami, um, and because of the cultural melting pot, I guess, of Miami... Um, you know, growing up there exposed him to a variety of music, um, such as Haitian, Latin, reggae, and R&B. So a lot of his musical influence growing up 
was from cultures different from his own, I guess. So mm-hmm. I'm sure that uh, definitely played a big part of him becoming an R&B singer, basically. Yeah, for sure. Kind of an interesting side note. Um, his mother sold real estate in Miami, and one of her clients was actually Bob Marley. Huh. And Bobby Caldwell and Bob Marley actually became friends at some point. Um, and so I'm sure Bobby that... Caldwell tried to assassinate him? I hope not. <laughs> um, you listeners can listen to that uh, conspiracy episode that we did recently. Um, not with Bobby Caldwell, though. <laughs> <laughs> with Bob Marley, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so that that's pretty cool. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, being friends with Bob Marley at some point in your formative years, you know, has some influence on your mm-hmm. musical leanings, I guess. So this song that we just listened to a clip of, uh, What You Won't Do For Love, um, this was his breakout single from his uh, debut album in 1978. Now, he could be, con- I, from what I could tell, he could be considered a one-hit wonder with that song. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought maybe he had done more than I was familiar with, but it's possible that he didn't. I, I guess I'd have to look again. But it doesn't seem like he kind of reached the same success with any other songs. Mm-hmm. However, over since the late 70s, he's released 16 albums, with the most recent one being in 2015. Jeez. So he's still active today. Apparently, he has a pretty big following in Japan for some reason. Really? Yeah. That, that's interesting. So I, I guess looking at a more uh, recent example, I, I picked Post Malone as a modern singer, I guess. Now, I don't really know anything about him. Uh, I know the name. I seem to see a lot of memes about him for some reason. Because he's, he, he's kind of he's kind of silly. He's uh, He's got like a kind of a baby face with like a scraggly beard, but like face tattoos. <laughs> In my research, so something I kind of want to lead lead with this is that it's, as we were saying earlier, like R&B as its own individual genre doesn't really, I don't want to say it doesn't exist anymore, but it certainly doesn't exist in the same way that it did in like the 80s mm-hmm. or the 90s. So it's a little hard to pick someone who's categorized as R&B in modern day because like without that specific genre being a big thing, like... It's almost like pick a song out of a category of black people, but it has to be a white person. Yeah, and not only that, so much of modern R and B has is so much of a crossover with, I guess, what we would consider modern pop music. Right. That it's kind of hard to separate the two. Well, it's yeah, it's it's either mixed heavily with pop music or it's mixed heavily with hip hop music. Yeah, exactly. So it's almost like, and so Post Malone, he's basically a rapper. He's a white rapper, but he also is, is a singer and kind of. Uh, from what I can tell, he also kind of blends elements of a lot of other genres as well, um, mm-hmm. including hip hop, like hip hop and then rock, uh, trap, R&B, stuff like that. Um, so he's not simply a hip hop artist, but uh, it, it's kind of a mix of different things. The song I chose by him is called Sunflower uh, featuring Sway Lee. And this was actually apparently featured in the film Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which was awesome. So oh, I love this song. I was, like, playing the song constantly when the movie came out. Oh, nice. Well, let's give it listen for the listeners, since that's what they're called. Now, I know to bring up that movie for the two of us is like a challenge for us not to talk about that movie. So I think I we, I think we already did though at some earlier episodes. So I think Must we resist. Can... 
Um, but speaking of Spider-Man, though, they are they just released a new Spider-Man game called Spider-Man Miles Morales. That's where cool. you play as him. Have they ever made a video game that was based on that movie on the in the Spider-Verse movie? Not based on the Spider-Verse movie. Oh, like like directly from the movie? No, not really. That would they be cool this, though, because that'd be trippy as hell. That would be like uh, that that art style as a video game yeah. would be so sick. I'd play the hell out of that. Yeah, same. Um, so that song. Sunflower. It's it's interesting um, because like if you were to ask me to put that into a genre, I guess I wouldn't really, really know really what to say. <laughs> yeah. So um, I I mean I wouldn't call it R and B in in the sense that like historically what people would call R and B, um, but I I think it has elements of a lot of different genres. Kind of like I was mentioning, he mixes a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could say there's elements like it's not a hip hop song, but there's elements of hip hop. It's not necessarily a pop song, but it's, there's elements of pop in there. Mm-hmm. And so it, I, I, I guess I wanted to pick this one out partially as the conversation of like, what can we really call R&B today? You know, yeah. like, is it really worth still continuing that label on stuff? Because it's certainly like we're not using it anymore to define black people music, basically. Yeah. So yeah. like, does it still serve a purpose today? I don't, I mean... <laughs> To a degree, I think yes, but I think it's a much more narrow purpose. I mean, what I consider modern R&B is basically the leftover remnants of 80s and 90s R&B, where yeah. it's, it's music sung predominantly by black people, but not always, that yeah. is less influenced by hip-hop and more influenced by older, say, soul music or... Yeah earlier r&b music like i let me think i think of a good example well someone uh, i could have mentioned i get cut to your point that you're saying like one person that i could have picked possibly as being more closely aligned with that definition of r&b mm-hmm. um could have been robin thick because he came up in a few different places that i was researching um, oh yeah as someone who follows a lot of kind of that soul and r&b style but kind of has a modern twist on it and he's white. So he was, he's another one who I could have picked certainly. Yeah. When I think of modern R and B, I think of artists like SZA, SZA, mm. uh, Pharrell Williams a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's that guy? Um, Nelly, I guess a little bit mm. where it's like, it's more, it's more singing. It's, it's, there's a little bit of hip hop influence, I guess there, but it's much more melodic. Than something like you know rap music, uh, Alicia Keys. Even though she's black, good example of I guess modern R and B. Uh, so I think there still is a is a, I guess what I'm getting at is I, there still is a, a place for the genre. It's just a much more narrow definition of it than it used to be. Yeah, and I think the thing that that makes this one stand out is that is the fact that like we are kind of struggling to name a list of people who fit into that mold today. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, we could list, you know, 20 or 30 different, you know, hip hop artists, or you'd have no trouble finding modern day country singers, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I think just the way the definition has shifted over the years and how, I guess, the sound of whatever je- definition is left over these days has also shifted very much. Mm-hmm. So, a little bit about, about Post Malone. Um, I think he started making music around 2013 or so. Mm-hmm. Um, 
in, in, in the time since then, um, he's apparently been called a culture vulture um, by a lot of different publications and social media people mm-hmm. um, for appropriating African-American culture. Um, I don't, like I said, I don't really know anything about him, so I don't know where that's coming from or whether like there's any like substance behind that or not. He has stated that his white skin has been, quote, used against him. Um, he's also said that, quote, there is a struggle being a white rapper. Now, I don't want to go too much in depth with the whole white rapper thing because we covered that already in the last episode. Yeah. But it's uh, it, I guess it's interesting to get his take on that because I don't know if we really – it's been a little while since we've recorded that one. But I, I don't remember there being questions about like are white rappers like ostracized necessarily. I mean from what I remember in talking about it, there is that there's a fine line that a lot of white rappers straddle between being influenced by black culture and, you know, steeping themselves too much in a black culture that they can never fully identify with, if that makes sense. I don't know though, because like I mean hip hop, yes, I would still say today in twenty twenty, like it still is a quote unquote black genre or at least a a black dominated genre, but mm-hmm. certainly by by now, I mean there, it's it's not unheard of whatsoever that there are white rappers out there. Yeah, and there certainly have been white rappers that have made big names for themselves. So I guess to see people still saying they're still like like, uh, like you can't be a rapper if you're white. Yeah, like the, to me that's weird that people are still trying to make that claim. No, I agree. Twenty twenty. I, I yeah, I think as the years go by, I think it's. It's gonna be there's gonna be less gatekeeping in you know those these different musical genres of like oh you can't you know you can't be a hip hop artist if you are not black or you can't be a rap artist if you're not black or right. you can't be a country artist if you're not white. Yeah, and you and you're gonna get people in on either side of that that actually do believe that, but I I would imagine that that those are not widespread beliefs on either side. Yeah, there there is real true cultural appropriation, but often that comes from a place of power and not a place of, you know, simple appreciation for the culture. Right. There's appropriation and there's appreciation. I you know, if yeah. you appreciate the culture and it influences you and in how you make your music, that's very different from a white person dressing up as a Native American for Halloween, you know, just because they're like I want to go what around if, and go oh. But what if he appreciates them, Kyle? <laughs> like i said it's a fine line you know i think (laughs) i i think uh i think context matters and context is key but you know and i'm sure there are artists that quote-unquote appropriate culture just because they think it'll make them more popular right but at the same time i think there's just as many if not more artists that simply appreciate the musical culture that they maybe grew up with you know yeah well, if you take an example like Bobby Caldwell, like I, uh, when you when you think about him, like he, are you, even though he's white, like all basically all of his musical influence was from these other cultures. Yeah, it was very was very Latin influenced, and yeah. So like when he comes out with R and B music, I, I would hope that people weren't saying he was like appropriating it because he's making like legitimate contributions to that style of music, mm-hmm. and it's coming i mean from what i know at least like it's all coming from a place of uh appreciation and wanting to further that genre i guess so yeah um, yeah now unless post malone like grew up in like nebraska or something you know i don't i don't know where the ideas of him appropriating music 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's possible that like he's like said stupid stuff on Twitter or something that May- yeah, kind of gave exactly. some ground for this. I don't know his whole social media presence, but yeah. just on a surface level, it seems kind of disingenuous to be like, oh, he's a culture vulture because he's, you know, a hip hop artist who's white. For sure. So anyway, I guess, I guess to wrap up not only this episode, but kind of this pair of episodes, um, I, I, I think it's been pretty interesting. Even though we've stayed fairly surface level for each of these genres, I think even doing that, that we've learned a lot, not only about people who have kind of shifted racially, I guess, um, mm-hmm. and gone against the grain in that way, but also just the history of each of these genres kind of, you know, again, from a high level, but still learning enough about where they came from racially you know and i because i think that's a really important part of like why those genres are the way they are today Mm -hmm. so as we culturally move forward as a country and really as a world i guess uh the gatekeeping and the uh, is uh what's the word segregation of different genres into different racial groups is becoming less and less prominent and less and less meaningful especially in the age of the internet um that I hope that, you know, as we move forward uh, in history, you know, there won't be any barriers to anybody making music in any genre that they that they're influenced by. Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. I, I think actually ending this on a note of looking forward is a good one, because I mean, we, we have already seen in the last three, four five decades of like the cultural shifts in America kind of redefining how some of these uh, genres are handled. Mm-hmm. Um, by the music industry or by the artists themselves. Um, but as we continue in that same trajectory, you know, how is that going to, you know, like, let's say 50 years in the future, you know, like will yeah. black country singers be a lot more common? I mean, as long as you give respect and you give credence to the cultural history that came before you and how it influenced you to make whatever you're making. And you don't just basically say like, I did this because I'm the best, and you understand that you did. You're able to do this because of all the people that came before you, right? I, I, yeah, I, I see no problem with anyone making any kind of music they want to, as long as they basically show respect for the history of that music. Yeah. So um, I thought this was a pretty interesting topic, personally. Uh, I hope you did as well. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So we hope you listeners enjoyed it as well. If you are listening to this one, but you did not listen to the prior episode, I guess you can go back um, and listen to that one where we talked about country and hip hop. Mm -hmm. You can find that episode on getyourfunk.com, which is our own website where you can find all of our episodes, not just that last one, because that would be a terrible website. Mm -hmm. Um, And you can use the search. You can use the search bar, find all kind of other topics, I guess. Or if you would rather yell at us for some reason, (laughs) maybe... Maybe you're saying, hey, Funk Radio, um, fuck you. Then you can go to get your funk. No, fuck. What is it? <laughs> Facebook.com. <laughs> we, should, we should set up like a comment page on getyourfunk.com. <laughs> we should not do that. <laughs> um, Facebook.com slash getyourfunk. And you can yell at us there, I guess. I don't know why I always say that that's why people should go there. Because that's why people go on Facebook in general. That's true. Just to yell at each other. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, well, that's a thing. I'm glad we did this pair of episodes. I think this is a good topic to cover. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, various issues of race continue to be a conversation 
in 2020. Like we, we're not going to pretend that that's not an issue. But mm. I think as we look at things like music and understanding the history of our culture, I think that can also help us see the ways that we can improve upon it, or I guess um, maybe more accurately allow for more integration, I guess, uh, yeah. respectfully. Exactly. Moving forward. So sort of interesting. Or maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe we won't see that much integration over the next few decades. You know, maybe hip hop 50 years from now will still be largely a black genre. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see. We'll tell you in episode 3,256 listeners. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We're just like holograms. <laughs> Honestly, by the time we would get to like episode 600, we would probably use one of those AI um, the algorithms to piece together all of our audio, and then we can just tell it to generate our voices to say whatever we want. They, not to get off topic, but they are. There's already a program. I was I was looking at this. There's already a program you can buy where if you feed it audio, it will literally create like a script for you, and then you can edit the script like it's a word document, but mm -hmm. it will change the audio for you. Oh wow. It's not nice. so we can make like fake recordings of us, basically. Kinda. It's more. It's more meant for things like podcasting, where you can see like a scriptified version of what you said. So I don't know. Cool. I forgot the name of it, but I'm just like, dude, that's sick. So yeah, uh, this has been the Tech Corner with uh, your host Kyle, and this has been your host Peter. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll listen next time. Assuming this next episode, I don't know if we'll get hit by a bus or an asteroid or that too. Um, but assuming there's a next episode, we hope you will be listening to it. Bye. We love you. <laughs> <laughs>